Hi, guys. Sean and I have some exciting news. Uh, we have created official Twitter and Instagram accounts for the Oh, Mr. Sheffield podcast. It is at Oh, Mr. Chef pod on both platforms. And that is Oh, Mr. Chef with two Fs. So Oh, Mr. Chef pod. Check it out. Follow us. It's going to have all the latest and greatest from us about this show. Um, and we hope you like it. Now enjoy the episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Flushing Girl from Flushing, the nanny named Fran. Oh, Mr. Sheffield. Miss Fine. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Oh, Mr. Sheffield, a podcast about the 90s hit sitcom The Nanny, starring Fran Drescher, wherein uh, myself and my co-host, Toria. Say hi, Toria. Hello. Uh, we rewatch each episode of The Nanny, and then we dissect it and talk about it uh, as if it were um, lost. <laughs> um, this episode we're talking about is episode number seven um, of season one, Imaginary Friend. And mm -hmm. uh, this episode <coughs> was written, this was written by two people. This episode was written by Pamela Eels and Sally Lapidus. Uh, oddly enough, Lapidus was a character on Lost. So that was oh, not, that's very strange. Um, and they wrote... Uh, a lot of stuff, um, a lot of sitcoms uh, in the 90s, uh, some Family Matters, some Mad About Yous. And then it looks like after The Nanny, they kind of shifted and did Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, Sweet Life oh, on Deck. Love um, it. Which I guess would mean they worked with our mutual friend Brenda Song if they yeah, did I mean, Sweet that, Life. Because she was on that show, right? They did, yeah, like, she, was, she was a staple on that show. And just to show. just to Jack Hill's memory um, – so this is the episode where Fran accidentally kills Gracie's imaginary friend just to center us in uh, the episode. Yeah. So this is a great um, episode. This is a delightful episode. <laughs> I, my, I have a note that says this is the anti-mental health episode. <laughs> oh my God, dude. We can get into all of that. I was like, I, I, one point in my notes I wrote, should we have a mental health warning at the beginning of our episode about how much we're going to talk about how much they make jokes about mental health and trivialize mental health and trivialize getting help. And it's just like, Ooh, boy, Oh boy. But it's, it's got like a fun kind of cute premise. Well, um, and the other thing that was kind of interesting is it, it kind of does this um, hard left at the end because it spends literally like 28 minutes just like dunking on therapy and yeah. then when they finally get you to the therapist she's like this really cool reasonable really like um correct she's right <laughs> yeah she's this really like solid lady who is they don't play her for laughs she's very insightful and like you're like oh okay so i guess pro mental health after all this? like i don't really know but um i you know it, it does it um, kind of undo some of its own um, mental health negging. Well, what it does is it kind of like, for me, it reinforced like, oh, this, this was all 
this was a time where it was like, you could make jokes about stuff as long as like you're sort of sincere in the end and you kind of give the right message about it. You can spend 22 minutes joking about it. And I think where we've come as a society in comedy now is we've learned that like, there's a lot of stupid people in the world. And if you spend 20 of 22 minutes making fun of something and then two minutes kind of being like, oh, but it's kind of right. Most people will only process those first 20 minutes and won't get the message. So like the message has to be very, very clear. And like, I don't think you can't make a joke. I don't think you couldn't make this episode now. I just don't think you could make it with the same jokes now. What struck me and just like for some context for people who like haven't seen this episode in a while, basically the whole time Fran keeps being like very, she's very uncomfortable with the idea of therapy. Like she picks Gracie up from her therapist and she's making it very clear that like she doesn't need to be there. She's just picking someone up and like makes a joke about like people there being disturbed. So it's, it's very much sort of a like, oof, I wouldn't want people thinking I went to therapy. And I just think it's interesting that 30 years ago, Cece is a character who goes to therapy. And Mr. Sheffield is a character who's like sending his child to therapy. And Fran, who's like very warm and down to earth and in touch with her feelings, is very like, no, thank you. And I, I, I had this note that I think if the episode was made today, it would probably be the reverse. Um, and the person who's cold and out of touch is the one that would like have um, issues with being perceived as going to a therapist. But it's it's almost like 30 years ago going to a therapist was like almost something that you would like read about on goop now it was like sort of strange a little alien like oh you got to have a lot of money to throw away if you're and to like do something like that right oh you're just um, gonna sit on a couch and tell someone your problems blah, blah, blah. yeah it's like it's like you have too much time <laughs> yeah. and money uh, is almost the like um the stereotype that they they play with and buy into in this episode you know, they had the opportunity there to normalize it and, and they had the, this platform to try to normalize it. And instead they sort of just leaned into what like the the zeitgeist was and like went for the joke. You and I kind of came of age um, sort of straddling the two perspectives. But I think like, I think a 15 year old watching it right now would be like, what the actual like F is, Ooh, like it would seem archaic. Um, and they'd probably almost be confused by all well, the Well, I mean, uh, the only thing I can equate it to is it, is it must for a 15 year old to watch this particular episode now, I feel like it would be the same as when I was 15 and my dad showed me like all in the family. Uh-huh. And he was like, and he was like, isn't this hilarious? And I was like, yo, this guy's just straight up racist. <laughs> like, like even at that point, not that I was like super woke or whatever when I was 15, but I knew enough at 15 in like the, you know, mid nineties that like Archie Bunker was like, just like a level of racist that I had been taught was very, very wrong, you know? And I was like, no, this is not good, dad. Like this is nope, nope. Doesn't work anymore. Doesn't work anymore. <laughs> doesn't work anymore. And I feel like that would be the kind of reaction. I feel like that's the closest I can get, at least in my own brain, kind of compare what a 15 year old would look at this and just feel like, no. There's definitely this part of the episode, but a whole other thing is I think this has a, one of my favorite comedic, like all of that aside, one of my favorite comedic scenes that we've seen so far. Yes. And, and it is definitely the kitchen scene, right? And yes. Basically, yes. you know, this episode gets rolling where, you know, Maggie, oh, I keep confusing them. Gracie has this imaginary friend who she says is little and tiny, like only a couple inches tall. And so... Fran accidentally eats her. 
<laughs> while they're in the kitchen because apparently Imogen was sitting on a cookie that Fran ate, which leads to, I think, like the first real um, scene that hinges on pure physical comedy that we've seen. And because she's like, well, what am I going to do? Like uh, give her CPR or something? And then Mr. Sheffield's like, yes, yes, CPR, CPR. And well, so we. <laughs> and this oh, is God. where you can really see A, you can definitely see Lucille Ball's influence on Fred Drescher here, like 150 billion percent, because this felt like classic. I love Lucy slapstick, like trying to eat the 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 things on the conveyor belt while she's like putting them in the thing and trying not to have too many fall. Like this was just like it was it was so well played out and like they they really like they like yeah it was just it was delightful to watch. I I, I watched that sequence twice because I thought it was really funny and and it, and it, even before she kills her, there's a great one of my favorite beats in the episode. You know she puts him she takes a teacup because Imogen is so tiny and she's like okay I put her in this teacup and then. Um, Gracie says, now she's bored and Fran smacks the teacup and it like spins around and she goes, now she's at Disneyland. Yeah, it was, so good. It was really, really like, it was such a great beat. It was so like clever and and, and um, whimsical and yes. both completely practical at the same time. Yes, and- it was such a good beat. But so, yeah. So then like shortly after we go into the CPR scene, which is again, it's literally Fran and Mr. Sheffield pretending to give a tiny little two-inch person CPR. And they somehow, did you notice, they said they, they get a fingering joke in this scene. Yeah. Like, so it like blew me away. I was like, did they really just go there? Because basically, yeah. you know, Mr. Sheffield is like, okay, okay, I'm checking her airway. And he like kind of puts his finger into this little imaginary thing. And he goes, the airway is clear. And Gracie goes, that wasn't her mouth. <laughs> And then he proceeds to look at his fingers and wipe them on his shirt as if he's wiping his fingers off. It was a very, yeah, I clocked that too. And I was just like, whoa, what a joke. joke. Yeah. In this like very like, and so, you know, they keep going and it's like clear. It's like one, two, three, one, two, three, breathing into Imogen's mouth. And then Fran literally grabs these two like glass lids. lids. Yeah. And she like rubs them together as if she's going to do the like the heart. Oh, I don't even know what this is called. I'm no She's going to def- she she rubs them together as if they're defibrillators. Yes, and she's going to yes. defibrillate the little imaginary character's heart. And in this moment, it's such a funny beat and I don't know if it was improvised or what, but the actress playing Gracie actually breaks in that moment and like yep. completely laughs and then like kind of puts her hand over her mouth mm-hmm. and like you see her sort of like don't like ruin this take um because it's a very funny like it happens very quickly and i i i couldn't tell if it was completely improvised or like in the moment and then they were just like yo that was let's not do that again that was great yeah it was real. it was so funny and like um but also like um credit where it's due the actress who played gracie who is um i have it written down here matt is it madeline zima is that her name yeah no it's madeline zima yeah yeah her acting was great. You know, yeah, she like very slightly broke. And I actually only noticed that the, the second time I watched it, but she really like sells it. She's like screaming. She's like, you ate her. You ate her. And yeah. then there's a, she's like, she's dying. She's dying. And then like, they, you know, they give her the CPR and she's like, it's not working. It's not working. And then at the end of this whole ordeal, where, uh, and also like the audience is going crazy during all this, she just goes, it's too late. She's gone. And she yeah. like runs out. And it was, you know, I was like, wow, this kid is actually playing distressed, like very believably. She's, she went for it 110%. Yeah. 
she um definitely this is another character that i feel like comparing it to the pilot um the actor and the character both sort of are much more fully realized now like and again the pilot was great right like i love the pilot um but she feels a little more comfortable in playing like she's not kind of playing her like this like dark and brooding edgy teen she's playing her more childlike and they're letting her kind of be a kid a little bit more but she's just like really smart you know like she's like a little Mm -hmm. beyond her years um and and it works whereas i do i do think i do have to say that my least favorite thing in this whole episode that i think is both lazy from a writing standpoint and didn't make sense from a character standpoint is when they first sort of like announced that she has an imaginary friend brighton teases Gracie for having an imaginary friend, but the way that he teases her is he proceeds to stand up and deliver a Twilight Zone monologue to a fictional fourth wall that within their reality wouldn't be there. And it's the weirdest, like sort of like self-burn, because he's like, oh you nerd, you believe in imaginary friends. And then he proceeds to like address a fake camera and pretend to be (laughs) here's the thing this is what i I brought this up last week in the last episode because they the writers consistently use him as a vessel for jokes that a 10 year old would never actually make i'm like oh so this so brayton like he he's he makes george he does his george bush impressions he 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 like references movies and television and actors that far predate him and now you know he's doing something that like you know a 30 year old in the episode should do which is uh, you know a spot on again rod sterling impression right which the twilight zone was old when i was a kid mm-hmm. it already was like my mom was like i love the twilight zone i was like that shit's in black and white boring oh my mom still talks <laughs> about when she saw rod sterling once at ithaca college <laughs> Was he just hanging out with like college chicks or was there a reason? Uh, he, was there? <laughs> uh, he might've been, that's not, that's, I mean, I don't know what he was doing in his free time, but he was, I think a professor there, like a writing professor. And she, she went to Cornell and she would take piano lessons at Ithaca college. He was like, I don't know if you know, but I created the Twilight Zone. <laughs> in a world where men exercise disgusting amounts of power. Yeah, exactly. Uh, back to little, Imogen, I'm sure you also kind of saw it going in this direction. By this point, I also was thinking like, oh, I'm sure this is going to be, this is going to tie into like the loss of her mom. Because, you know, in the next scene, we, we see Gracie basically saying things like, oh, like it's just... I keep expecting Imogen to like walk through the door. Like the house is going to be so empty without her. And you're kind of like, oh, this is feeling more like some processing of something else. And lo and behold, they they then go to the therapist's office because the therapist hears about this and is like, you all should come in like as a family, like even with Fran. And the therapist basically says like, Imogen appeared when Gracie lost her mom. And now Gracie doesn't need Imogen because she has Fran. And like, that's why she's insisting that Imogen die, basically. It's like a very childlike way of, letting something go. Um, and God, the therapist, that couple in the waiting room at the uh, therapist's office, gosh, that was a, basically, yeah. you know, Mr. Sheffield and Fran are in the waiting room and uh, there's this couple who, you know, says something, like, oh, like you're in counseling, like it'll do wonders for your marriage. And Mr. Sheffield's like, oh, we're not married. And the man's like, get out while you still can. Oh, yes. I also um, have this note. Did you have this note? I'm like, why isn't Gracie going to a child psychologist? 
<laughs> She's like, it's like a very adult New York office. Yeah, it was not, it was, well, I mean, look, I this show was not, I don't know that how many child psychologists there even were at this time. I feel like this is, this is like 1993. And like, I'm pretty sure that was the year that I was diagnosed ADD. And like, they didn't know what the fuck that was, or there was like a brand new thing. And like my first, the first two therapists I ever went to were like adult therapists. And then my mom was like, oh, there's a child psychologist here now. So. And you were like, kids can be therapists? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoa, well, call me a child dentist. Let's go. Cause I want to pull some teeth. Um, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, so a couple of things also to point out in this, um, dude, can we talk for a second about the, the one joke so far in this, in all seven episodes we've watched that just did not land for me was the Toll House cookie joke. Do you remember this joke? Yeah, I do. I do. I don't get even what it means. Like you so, eat now and pay later, like a Toll House, but like you have to pay when you get to the no, toll no, no, no. Yo, this uh, this shows how you are not a girl raised by Jewish women. Um, so basically, the joke was, um, Gracie goes, "Why are they called Toll House cookies?" And Fran goes. Because you eat them now and you pay later. It means you're going to gain weight later. No, I understand what that part means. Oh, I'm saying that's, that's not how a toll house works. You don't get in now and have to pay later. You have oh, to pay when you get there. It just oh, it doesn't. Yeah, you pay first. You're, oh, I see what you're saying completely. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I'm saying like, the, like, like yes, the bit works, but the joke actually doesn't. Like I, I thought about it for two seconds and I was like, wait, but you pay first. And Are then- there any tolls where you pay where you're exiting the highway? No, no, you know, you pay when you exit the highway. You get, right? Uh, I mean, no. like, I, yeah, I, don't, I, I don't guess know. in some places you get onto the freeway and then like when you get, no, what? No, that would make I no don't. sense. No. Yeah, I think I'm right, but I'll leave it in if I'm not. Everyone can tell me how wrong. I'm sure you're right. I mean, I don't. I have, as an adult, I don't think I've ever driven through a toll. I don't drive anymore because of coronavirus. So I mean, also, I feel like we all just. I just use older people's easy passes, so I really. That's right. Same. I don't know what the, I don't know. Same. I don't know. I'm too. Also, the I'm other too- thing I wanted to talk about is Fran's last outfit: the fruit and vegetable <laughs> dress. <laughs> What is happening? That was, I have to admit, as much as I generally love her outfits, that was bad. And it happens to be in a scene where then the psychologist character comments on like how great um, Gracie's sense of fashion has become. And then Fran kind of like eyes the, the psychologist up and down and is like, call me later. We'll talk about your fashion. And I literally screamed like, you're wearing fruits on your sleeve. <laughs> Like, I mean, what? You have a cucumber on your leg. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, she's she's bold with those choices. And I guess... Holy shit. <laughs> I mean, I wear, like, the same shorts and t-shirt every day. So, like, I'm not one to talk about fashion usually. But, like, she was literally dressed like a fruit bowl, you know? Like, in, like, but a she, you know thing. what, though? She wears it with confidence. And she I think does. that's that's... Ninety percent of anything is is bo- pulling something off is believing that you can. There was an article on the Vulture recently that was an interview with Fran Dresch with um, the the nanny's costume designer, and it was like top ten favorite costumes from like working on the nanny, and that wasn't in the top ten. It would not be my favorite either. And they even she even says how great her outfit is that day. She's like he was like oh we're late we're run-. and she's like it takes time to look like this. She says yeah. something like that. Yeah, she was. Listen, everyone was 
everyone co-signed on that outfit in that episode. So yeah, it's on all of them. Um, what else? What else was there that was great? Uh, I liked the line, Lord and Taylor giveth, Lord and Taylor taketh away about her losing her shoes. Cause, cause so Gracie, after the, she goes to therapy, she decides she wants to bury her imaginary friend. She comes downstairs to bury the imaginary friend and the friend is in a shoe box and friends like really expensive new shoes are in there. And friends like, those are my brand new shoes. It's a Niles line about the shoes. He said, Lord and Taylor giveth, Lord and Taylor taketh away. Yes. Um, I have a similar line that I liked, which is um, Mr. Shuffield goes, this is when Fran is like, I think Gracie should go to therapy um, fewer times a week. And Mr. Shuffield goes, Gracie's a very complicated child. She needs an outlet. And Fran goes, well, if she needs an outlet, I'll take her to Jersey. They got a Ralph Lauren outlet, a Donna Karen outlet. <laughs> oh, and then there's sort of similar... Cece is actually singing the praises of therapy and she goes, therapy has been very beneficial, uh, very beneficial to me. I've been going for 20 years. And then she promptly has a facial tick. Yes. And then Fran just goes, nah, too easy. <laughs> um, she also has a line about, I just wrote down, Cece says in some countries they'd cut off her hands and like, I I just my note next to it was just Ben really pushing like that she's just like an evil lady. <laughs> like <laughs> Oh, that's what it is. It's it's they're talking about so the the C plot of the episode is Maggie sucks at playing piano. That's like the C plot. Mm-hmm. Maggie's trying to play heart and soul on the piano and she like just legitimately sucks. And 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 that that's what it is. It's, it's the setup. It's right before that Bambi line actually. She says um Maxwell says, you know, while you're at, if you're canceling things, why don't you cancel Maggie's piano lessons? And then Fran says, uh, look, she's not Liberace. Is that such a crime? And then CZ says, yes, in some countries they'd cut her hands off. And, <laughs> and then there, everyone stares aghast at her. Mm-hmm. And then CZ goes, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and, and it's like, they really, like, like we were talking about in a previous episode, they really have no, they're putting no effort into like, like CC is a terrible person. Oh yeah, and, it, and it's it's perfect. Like I don't want complexity from her. I don't want a very special moment. I don't want a very special episode about CC. I love that she's just cold sucks. and yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I had this moment that I really liked when Fran and Mister Sheffield at the end of the episode are in the therapist's office with Gracie. Um, but before they know that the therapist is actually going to say, I think Fran's been doing a great job. Mr. Sheffield like very defensively goes, I tried to save her when they're talking about the imaginary friend Imogen, because like he's so he's willing to just throw Fran under the bus and, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and say like, it's not my fault. I, I did everything I could to save Imogen. Um, it was just so desperate and like pathetic in a very yes. funny way to me. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, do you have anything else or should we move mm. to uh, segments? Segments. And now segments. So segments. Yeah, no, I think we should move on to segments. I to say we can move on to our segments. And now segments. Segments uh, with Sean and Toria. <laughs> All right. It's, it's grown on me every time. Seriously. Um, so well, what's what's up first? Uh, the Yiddish. Talk the about Yiddish. Yiddish. Mm-hmm. What you got? So I got Mushuganas. Yes. A favorite of mine. So it's a line where uh, 
Fran and Mr. Sheffield are both kind of trying to blame each other on why Gracie is struggling so much psychologically. And Fran goes, oh, don't blame it on me. Like Niles told me all about your family tree. They're full of Meshuganas. Yep. Um, and a Meshugana is Yiddish for a mad or idiotic person. And yes. mad obviously being, you know, insane, not angry. Yes. And it 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 reminded me that it makes sense because it's sort of what you were talking about earlier. Like there was definitely a stigmatism to getting help and mental health and that kind of stuff, uh, especially in, um, I think in uh, Eastern European Jewish circles. Mm -hmm. um, I know that like, you, you know, like, like my, my mom went through like, like her sister, you know, we talked about like my mom's lost her sister at a very young age. And um, like, now you would just be like, that child needs to go to therapy immediately, you mm -hmm. know, but that wasn't even a concern. I mean, my grandma was like one of the best people on the planet, you know, rest her soul. No, it just wasn't part of But the... it just wasn't even a thing. You didn't even. And so like, yeah, the only time you would refer to someone having a mental health issue is if they were like Meshugana, which was just an all encompassing word. And it's like, it's so, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's so dismissive of like, obviously much larger, mm -hmm. like, cause in that, in, even in the episode when she's talking about Meshugana people in your family, what they're actually talking about is people with dementia. And I think at one point yes. he even says dementia, the word dementia. And she's like, Oh, that crazy thing. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, you know, like that is just wild. It's you go like, wow, man, that sucks. Yes, times were tougher. <laughs> times, times were tougher. <laughs> times were tougher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are a bunch of snowflakes now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but it is true. Like, um, no, I mean, my my grand the my grandparents, you know, if they heard someone was in therapy, it was like you whisper, like you don't, you yeah. know, you don't advertise that. That's very yeah. much where where that generation was. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's. I mean, this goes back to an old. Um, it's a joke. Uh, Neil Simon, uh, Brighton Beach Memoirs uh, joke, where uh, every time they say the word. Uh, cancer in that play they whisper it uh -huh. and it's like that's like the whole beat is like my grandpa has cancer uh -huh. and like i'm not sure why we have to whisper when we say cancer but that's how everyone says it so and then like later on you know you meet his grandma and his grandma's like well ever since he got cancer yeah and she like says it really quiet and like you know uh, but it that whole you know that rings as true as 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 you know as this stuff here uh at least from my you know jewish upbringing uh, of like, you know, yeah, the, the, you kind of don't want to talk about the bad thing too loudly as if it will come to you. Yes. It's, it's the, the Voldemort of real life experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, Meshuggah is a delightful word to hear. I was often called Meshuggah. I think it took on a connotation later of also like hyperactive, like, like mm -hmm. my grandma often said, like, look at these Michigan kids, you know, and yes. she didn't mean crazy and she didn't mean mad and she didn't mean insane. She meant like, like hyperactive. Mm -hmm. and, like, like exasperatingly children. all over the place. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, uh, also she used to use Michigan Hilaria, which, uh, I believe is like, I think a Hilaria is like, um, someone who's like, uh, like overly dramatic. So it was like, <laughs> like hysterically dramatic. Is you know that what I mean? Yiddish, or was she like combining English? No, and I Yiddish? think that's Yiddish. Hilaria is oh, like also funny. a Yiddish word. I don't know if they're ever going to say that on this show, but um, we'll yeah. see. They've got their, they've got time. They they've got, have... we've got one hundred and sixty something episodes uh -huh. left. I think now. Um, 
for Jose, it's interesting. So for the Franner CC, I think I mean it's it's interesting because they sort of while CC's terrible in this episode, there is this weird reversal of CC being pro access to mental health and Fran being really resistant to it. Yeah. In which case, I'm the Fran and you're the CC. If that's the meter by which we're measuring, sure. I've actually never been to therapy. Really. I know wow. in LA that's very uh you should get some, rare. dude. I know. As, oh no. I see, I keep... Speaking as someone who really knows you, you should go get some <laughs> therapy. <laughs> uh yeah, look, here's what I'll say. I think that um for me, I can only speak for me because I'm just one person and I'm that you're like I'm, really weak and fragile, probably, right? <laughs> I'm really, very weak and fragile and I'm only I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I don't believe that no, about people no. go therapy. I for me. I don't go to therapy regularly all all day, every day, forever. I will hit periods in my life where I know that I need even just the ability to be able to vomit out all the things I'm feeling. And then for me personally, it is the placebo effect belief that someone who's got some type of degree in something will understand the things that I'm saying and be able to tell them to me in a way that maybe I'm not telling myself what I found in therapy, especially later in life, is that they often tell me shit I already knew, like mm-hmm. that I'm just not doing. But a lot of times, most of the time, actually, hearing it from someone, especially someone who is a doctor, who I feel like has experience, you know, like experience dealing with these types of issues is enough of a kick in the ass for me to be like, okay, like this is real advice and maybe I should take it. And it always works every time. And like, you know, it's like, I think mental health, like anything, depression or whatever, it's like, it's, it's something that you definitely like have to be proactive and I will often get complacent and then I'll slide back into it and then I'll see a therapist again for a couple of months and start to, you know, be proactive again about my mental health. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that's for everyone. I think some people can just be happy, I guess, or, or however they exist without, feeling the way that, that, that I know I feel sometimes. And, um, but for me, that's kind of how it works. All I can say is I have so many friends and people in my life who are just happier, um, because they broke, you know, they, they became more self-aware and stopped doing the stuff that, um, that was bringing the unhappiness to them. And like, that's what I basically, uh, I think at one point I was, well, I won't throw them under the, this person under the bus. But when I was having this debate with my relative, I was like, you know, I think you think that therapy is a place for people to go and like whine. I'm like, for a lot of people, it's a place to go and take accountability and have to actually uh, own the things that you do that, you know, bring toxic people into your life or bring about results that aren't making you happy. Like you have to be very strong to do that. It's, it's, so it's like, uh, I do think that like, hopefully that's more the consensus on it nowadays. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, I think, I mean, it's certainly from my point of view, anyway, I mean, for both of our point of view, it sounds like, you know, like, yeah, I think, I think if you need help, seek it out. There's no shame in it. And I think that everyone should feel that way about it. Whether or not you choose to do that or not is like your own personal choice. But I don't think that like anyone should be spreading the message that like there's any shame in it or anything wrong with it or or anything like that. I think like 
I think if you feel a way and you don't feel like you're able to get yourself out of feeling that way, like talking to someone, a professional is never a bad thing. Except you'll have to share that one time that uh, you went to that white life's matter therapist by accident. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I mean, it doesn't always work out. One time I went to a therapist very recently, actually. I mean, this will date how recent I felt that I needed therapy. Um, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I went to therapist over this last summer and it was during the middle of the black lives matter protests and the George Floyd protests and all these things. And I was, you know, very much involved in a lot of that stuff and protesting. And I mentioned this in therapy, the first visit that I had with this therapist, I mentioned it to him and he was like, well, why do black lives matter? (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) Like, what, what do you mean? And he was like, well, just, you know, you're talking about trying to be happy. How are black people going to make you happy or how are black yes. lives going to make you happy? And I was like, and oh I was like, I don't know how to answer that question. And I feel very uncomfortable. I was like, I guess I'd be happy because I'm doing something good. That's good for the world. But didn't I, he like, also say like, I mean, but don't all lives matter? Like, yeah. And then he ended it. Well, that was the, the third comeback to me being like, well, it's just like good for like maybe society to have people involved in this sort of situation. And then he was like, right, but like, don't all lives matter? And I was like, oh, all right, Bye. well, we're done forever. And I never went back to him ever again. And um, yeah. yeah, I mean, he was he was a terrible man. It doesn't always work out. Also, one time I went to a therapist and she told me exactly what I needed to hear and I didn't want to hear it. And I decided I hated her. And then I went through all the effort of making an appointment for a second therapist and went to that person. And he told me the exact same thing the first person told me. And then I went back to the first person because I liked her better and she was a better doctor. And I apologized. No, I, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I haven't been here for two months because I saw another therapist because I thought your advice was stupid. But then he said the same thing and you were right. And I'm sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> very rude of me. <laughs> and she just wrote a little note in her notebook, which made me feel very self-conscious. <laughs> Maybe it was just a smiley face. We don't know what she was writing. She wrote, she, she put a check in the win column that yeah. she, <laughs> but, um, so this has been a, we, we covered a lot of ground on this episode and I feel like we, we kind of felt like we needed to almost like, um, counterbalance, uh, the nanny's, uh, <laughs> negative, uh, perspective on seeking help when you need it. But um, it, I, I, I liked how this episode wrapped up. I thought there were some touching moments. A lot of it didn't hold up, um, but still was very enjoyable. You know what? And that summary applies to both the show, The Nanny, and this episode of this podcast, too. Yeah. <laughs> some of it didn't hold up. Some of it was very enjoyable. We There were a lot of great moments. Yeah, know, I'm sure we'll, a lot moments. will end up on the cutting room floor. Um, oh, yeah. This Sean, will be I'm a, sorry I made episode. you cry. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to kill the part where you made me cry, and I'll take out your embarrassing confession about what you did with the therapist that one time. Um, and all, but, all the farts. And all, well, yeah, I always I edit out both of our farts every week. <laughs> all right. Well, listen. Uh, if you like this and you think that this is the best thing you've ever heard, or even if you don't think it's the best thing that you've ever heard, and you're okay with a little white lie, um, subscribe and leave a comment and like on whatever the podcast platform is that you are listening to this podcast. And don't forget to share it with your friends and your worst enemies. Because maybe if you hate it, you can send it to your enemies and we'll torture them with our voices. And wouldn't, mm-hmm. that, be, wouldn't that be a win for everybody? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, and I'm on uh, Twitter at Sean Wrights. 
uh, and Toria is on Instagram mm-hmm. at Toria Sheffy with mm-hmm. two F's and a Y. Sheffy, yep, yep, yep. like Mr. Sheffield, but two F's and a Y. Sheffy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this has been another episode of Oh, Mr. Sheffield. Thanks, guys. The flashing girl from Flushing. Name Fran. Oh, Mr. Sheffield. Anyway, uh, uh, Miss Fine. <laughs> <laughs>